All right, so thank you for joining us today. It's a family service, so there's some may, might be some kids wriggling around next to you. Give them a little bit of grace. Um, we are going to be teaching from the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2 today. So do this, if you would, pull out the, te- the uh, teaching notes that were in your bulletin. If you'd like to take some notes as we go along, that'll be good. So, you know, th- we're, we're in the middle of talking about Christmas as a church. Both of our churches have been talking about Jesus. And one of the things that's so fascinating to me about the first Christmas story is that the people who were in it had no idea what was going on. Like for us, you know, we, we look back at it from our vantage point. And we say, oh yeah, there's, here's the king of the world born into a manger. Mary didn't know what was happening. Joseph didn't know what was happening. The wise men, they, no one knew what was happening. They were just trying to figure it out. As they, as they went through. And so today what we're going to listen into is Mary is going to learn that her baby is a king that was born to reign forever. And it's so easy to throw those words out there like, oh yeah, king, king baby, born to be reigned forever. That was, that was mind-bending for Mary. That was earth-shattering for the people who were listening. They had, they had no idea what this is about. And that news still comes to us today as really it should come as a bit of a shock. It's one thing to say, yeah, Jesus is a king, but it's a whole different thing to say, Jesus is a king, so I have to give my allegiance and my obedience to him. Because if we're honest, we act like we're in charge of our lives. When it comes to Christmas, I act like I am in charge of Christmas when it comes to my family. I'm I'm going down to Alabama. My parents just moved there, so that's why I'm going to be in Alabama for for Christmas. And I gave my mom a grocery list that was like a thousand items long of exactly what I wanted to eat on Christmas Day. I act like I'm in charge. For most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we act like little dictators. We know that the world doesn't revolve around me, but we feel like it would be nice if at least my world revolved around me. Um, we think, you know, I call the shots. Most Mondays, we don't live for the kingdom of God. We live for the kingdom of me. And when we pray, if we're honest, our prayers sound like, our Father in heaven, my kingdom come, my will be done today as it is in my mind. (laughs) So let me tell you a little bit about the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of me. If If it were my kingdom... If the world revolved around me in the kingdom of me, in the kingdom of me, I'm the only good driver in the world, and everyone else is an idiot. You know what I'm saying? In the kingdom of me, everyone with more than 10 items in the express lane at the grocery store will be immediately executed. In the kingdom of me, everyone notices and appreciates what a beautiful and incredible contribution I make to the world around me. In the kingdom of me, I evaluate people based on whether they help me get where I want to go. In the kingdom of me, rules apply to everyone, but exceptions are made for me. In the kingdom of me, the people who are, the people who are closest to me are supposed to figure out what I want, and they're, and they're supposed to serve me, because after all, I work hard, and I deserve it. In the kingdom of me, I'm driven more by lust than by love. In the kingdom of me, I expect God to serve me and bless me. After all, I do my part for him. The kingdom of me is a kingdom of expectations, entitlement, and exceptions. That's the kingdom of me. But this very first Christmas when Jesus was born into the world, they found out that Jesus was a king, and he came to shatter the kingdom of me and replace it with the kingdom of God. He would call us to live for a bigger kingdom, a bigger purpose. He calls everyone to live for God's kingdom. Now, we're going to listen into the story of Mary hearing about Jesus and finding out that he's a king, and it's in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. 
So we're going to talk about this verse a little bit, and then we'll try to make some application to our life. It says, uh, verse 26, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, in your notes, circle the word descendant of David. Circle the word David. That's important. You know, we hear, oh, good, his grandfather was David. But what the Jews are hearing is that David was the king of Israel, and so they're hearing these people are descended from kings and queens. In other words, there's royal blood in their line. It says the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And that's always struck me as interesting that the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, greetings, you're highly favored. And Mary essentially says, like, what's, what, (laughs) whoa, buddy, what's the deal with that? And I think one of the reasons, honestly, is because Mary's dirt poor. You know, we we saw this a couple weeks ago that when they dedicated Jesus at the temple, they could, you could give a a, a goat or or a lamb, but if you're so poor that you can't afford a goat or a lamb, you can bring pigeons. And the reason you can bring pigeons is because, have you ever been to Boston Common? They're very, it's very easy to catch pigeons, you know? It's like you hold out a piece of bread, and then all of a sudden you're covered in pigeon crap, right? It's like, so they bring pigeons because they're dirt poor. And so, you know, I, you know Mary and David, uh, Mary and Joseph might be descended from kings, but, but they've lived a very, very hard life. And in this hard life, an angel shows up and says, you are highly favored. And I think Mary's a little bit like, are you sure you showed up at the right address? This is one Nazareth place, you know? And the angel says, no, you're the, you're the blessed one. The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Underline the word throne. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Underline the word reign. His kingdom will never end. Underline the word kingdom. You see what's happening here? Mary, who has no idea what's happening, is visited by an angel, so freak out moment number one, and then she's trying to figure out who this baby is going to be, what's so incredible about this, and the message of the angel to Mary is, this is a king. Mary, you just gave birth to a king, and not just any king, not just any king of Israel, the angel says his kingdom will never end. How is that supposed to work? You know, if an angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a baby, and it's going to be the king, you're like, great. He's like, and his kingdom will never end. You're like, pause, time out. You're going to have some explaining to do. Now, what's happening here is that when we hear this, you know, we don't, we don't hear it as um, the fulfillment of a promise. We just go, go like, oh, that's nice. He's like big king baby Jesus, eight pounds, six ounce Jesus in his golden fleece diaper with his little crown on his head. But when Je- <laughs> you like that? But... <laughs> But when somebody liked it, but when Jesus was born and this announcement was made, every Jew knew that the first king of Israel was a man named David and God made David a huge promise. The first week at renewal, we saw that one of the things that Jesus does is Jesus fulfills God's promises. You know, Jesus is proof that God keeps his promises and he kept God's promise to Abraham, but here he's keeping his promise to David. Let me show you the the promise that God made to King David. It's in 2 Samuel 7. 11 through 13, it's on the bottom of your teaching handout. The Lord declares to you, this is God speaking to King David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God promises this kingdom forever, and then the history of Israel kind of shows like, well, God made this promise, but man, that fell apart pretty quick. They were invaded by Assyrians and Babylonians and Greeks and Romans, and basically everybody destroyed Israel. So when Mary hears this promise, she hears that this baby's going to sit on David's throne. Her assumption, along with every other person who heard this, was that this baby, Jesus, would grow up to be a political ruler with an earthly kingdom, just like King David. But that's not what happened. Jesus waited till he was about 30 to start his public ministry, and he spent the next three years deconstructing this idea, blowing up the idea that his kingdom was a worldly kingdom, and instead teaching people what it really meant to live like to live in the kingdom of God. And every metaphor he used for the kingdom of God was not that this, the kingdom of God is this, you know, it's like a battle tank that's going to destroy. It's this, you know, you say like the kingdom of God is, a, is like a mustard seed. It's like a buried treasure in a field. It's like a pearl that you find that's worth selling everything to, to come after it. And, and what it really means to live in the kingdom of God is to have Jesus as your king. That's actually what, the way the book of Mark starts, which Mark is a gospel. It's one of the authorized biographies of Jesus' life. Is Jesus says, good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. You're kind of looking around. You're like, where's the army? The reason the, king of God, the kingdom of God is at hand is because Jesus is at hand. Where the king is, there's the kingdom. And the kingdom of God breaks into this world wherever Jesus rules as king. So for us, if we're following Jesus, the question is, what does it look like to switch my allegiance from the kingdom of me to the kingdom of God? Put it another way. What does it look like, what does it look like to live where Jesus is my king? Because that's what it looks like to live in the kingdom. So the rest of our, our message today, <clears throat> I hope you'll take some notes here. Um, it's a relatively short message because we have children with us today. And it's what life looks like when Jesus is my king. And there's four things you can take some notes if you're a note taker. When Jesus is my king, I, number one, I live a God first life. Write that down. When Jesus is my king, I live a God first life. God is my first priority. And you know the way that priorities work? Here's how it works. When God is first in my life, everything falls into place. When God is not, everything falls apart. That's how priorities work. And it's just, it is a law of the universe. It is a spiritual law that that's how priorities work. You can't fight it. You're going to live the truth of this principle whether you understand it or not. Jesus taught this God-first life as a part of kingdom living, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. This is Jesus says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But watch this, but seek first, what? His kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. You put God in first place in your life and everything else falls into place. But if not, everything falls apart. Listen, this is just how priorities work. In my, um, I'm, I'm married with kids, which means I'm ahead of most of the people in our churches a little bit in life. And so let me, let, me, let me just share something with you. Your marriage has to be a higher priority than your kids, or else your marriage falls apart. Because the number one thing that your kids need is a healthy marriage. 
That's the number, it, it gives them a sense of stability, of being loved. It gives them a strong place to build their identity from. And if I put my kids ahead of my wife every day of my life, and, and she gets the subtle message, my children are first, or if I get the subtle message that my children are first, not me, then our marriage starts to weaken and our kids are now losing the thing that they need most in life, right? So you can't violate that rule of priorities. Let me give you an example that probably affects every person in here. Your health has to be a higher priority than your job. If you prioritize your job over your own personal health, eventually you will lose your health and then you will lose your job because you're not healthy enough to do it, right? They have to just be in the right order. You know, you have a heart attack, you're gonna have to take some time off of your job. So your health has to be a higher priority than your job. Jesus says to live in the kingdom when Jesus is your king, God is your number one priority in life. And when you do, everything else falls into place. Your priorities, if you want to know what your priorities are, it comes down to two things. As they would say in New England, your pocketbook, your money, and your calendar. That's how you know what your priorities are. So if you're a note taker, maybe you want to write this down, maybe not. Here's how you, you know your priorities on your calendar. Your priorities are what you schedule first, what you schedule around, and what wins when there's a scheduling conflict. Your priorities are what you schedule first, what you schedule around, and what wins when there's a scheduling conflict. So putting God first means before I fill up the rest of my calendar or the rest of my day, I put God first. I put, when I wake up first thing in the morning, I spend time with the Lord. I pray, I read my Bible, I, I seek and pursue him. It's what I schedule around. So I'm not going to bump my time with God off to some other place. I'm going I'm to guard that time jealously. And then it's what wins in a scheduling conflict. And so, you know, listen, man, you know, listen, I, I understand brunch is a big deal. But I make time, spending time with God, I make worshiping with God's people a priority in my life. And so if there's a conflict, I choose God. That's what makes it my first priority. Now, money also reveals your priorities. It's your pocketbook and your calendar. Your money priorities are what you give to first, what you give to regularly, and what you give to sacrificially. That's what your priorities are. The rest of it's just talk. Because priorities are what you do. Everything else is just talk. Right? And so, in my own life, when I get paid, I give to God first. And I've always done that. When I, uh, when I, when I value something with my money, I give regularly. So some of you are going to sign up to join a gym in January. You don't have to raise your hand. You know who you are. You know, like, I, I, I dropped my gym membership somewhere this year, and I was like, man, I think I kind of need it. So when I go back to the YMCA to sign up, you know, I walk in, and, and I don't say, listen, like, I'm feeling really good this January, so I'm just going to give you 45 bucks, or, you know, it's the Y, so it's probably like a million dollars, right? It's like 100 bucks or something. So I'm just going to give you this 50 bucks, and then if I feel like working out in February, I'll give you another 50 bucks. That's not how it works. Like, it's a priority, so you sign up, you put it regularly, automatic, and it reflects the fact of your priorities. And lastly, what you give to sacrificially is your priority. You know, what, you're, what, it, what it's willing to cost you. God's not looking for equal amounts, but God does look for equal sacrifices. And listen, that's great news if you're poor, and that's hard news if you're rich. Because there was a lady in Jesus' time that came and put two pennies in the offering box, and Jesus said she gave more than everybody because it was a big sacrifice. But if you're very wealthy, for you to sacrifice, for you to give so much that you might skip a meal, how much would you have to give? Okay, so God's looking for equal sacrifice, not equal amounts. So we live a God-first life, and when it shows up in our calendar, it shows up in our pocketbook. Number two, when Jesus is my king, I obey his commands. 
Now, this is where Christianity gets a little bit weird in American society because, you know, in Christianity, there's just some, there's some authority built into it, and Americans in particular don't do well with authority. We're sort of anti-authority. And so, like, in our relationships, you know, it's like if your friend is like, listen, if you're going to be my friend, I'm going to need you to obey me. Like, that's weird. You need new friends, okay? That's unhealthy. You know, we don't, we don't do this with our friends. We don't do this in our marriages. Um, but there are relationships that we have where love in, includes obedience, and it's between parents and children. Does that make sense? So if, you're, if your children love you, part of how they show that they love you is by obeying you. Or when you were little, you know, to love your parents well was to obey them. Well, you know, in the Bible, our relationship with Jesus is not exactly like that friend relationship because he's God, right? So it's like, not like I'm like buddy, buddy with God. It's, it's God and then, and then people. And so our relationship has both love and obedience and we show our love for him by obeying him the same way that ch- uh, children show their love for their parents by obeying them. And look at Jesus. He says it in classic Jesus style, very succinctly, John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, that there is an element of authority within the relationship and love. And so to love him is to obey him. And so I just, I guess the question for all of us is like, where do you need to obey Jesus? If you're following him already, where do you need to obey him? You know, is it bringing God the full 10%, the bring God the full tithe into the storehouse? Is it not neglecting together the meeting of the saints? And so instead of coming to church once every four weeks or six weeks, it's saying, you know what, every time I'm in town, I'm gonna be there. Maybe it's just abiding in Christ and, and you go through your days and a lot of times you go through your days in your own strength and your own power and so you need, to, you need to obey him by depending on God to get you through the day. There's commands in the Bible about praying without ceasing. Like, do you need to make that prayer part of your life? Where do you need to obey him in order to love him well? You know, on the, on the connection card that you were, you were given when you came in here today, there's a couple of next steps and, and these steps are often aimed at obedience, I mean, for me and for you. One is about uh, committing to come on January 5th to the kickoff of the Formation Teaching Series, or if you're a part of Kings Hill, it's going there on, on the 5th. It's committing to give an above and beyond gift to let there be light, and I know Mission Hill has a special offering as well, and so you can check that box just as a, as a way of saying, God, I know I need to obey in this area. All right. So when Jesus is my king, I live a God-first life, I obey his commands. Number three, I represent my king well. When Jesus is my king, I represent the kingdom everywhere I go. It's like I've got his jersey on. It says King Jesus on the back. You thought LeBron was the king. Jesus is the king. You get your jersey on. You represent him everywhere you go. And the Bible talks about this as though you're an ambassador of another country. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I actually, uh, I was in an ambassador's mansion one time in my life in Ecuador. My my father was a government employee his whole life, Um, kind of a mid-level government employee. But one time he got this, this really sweet assignment. We had to go to Ecuador and help them fight money laundering and drug smuggling. And so they put us up in the ambassador's residence for a couple weeks, and it was sweet. And here's what the job of an ambassador is. You basically, you represent your country's interests in a foreign land. And so you're supposed to live an American lifestyle with American culture. And also, if the president or the State Department has a message to give to that country, you give that message to the president or the State Department of Ecuador. That's, that's, that's how it works. 
And so when the Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ, it's like we're like our home country is heaven. And God has put us here and says, you're supposed to represent the customs of heaven, the values of heaven. And if there's a message from heaven to earth, you're supposed to bring that message, right? And the message here is, listen, Jesus is king. Jesus is really king. And so we live kingdom values and we share the kingdom message and that's what it means to represent our king as an ambassador. I pulled this quote from John Piper, <clears throat> which is a little longer, but it's, it's, it's really beautiful. It says this, personal holiness means learning the attitudes and customs of a new kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. And personal evangelism means telling people that the rightful king of the world against whom they have rebelled is willing to grant amnesty to all who return and live under his rule. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the eternal king of the world, will come from heaven and establish a reign of joy and righteousness and peace over all his loyal subjects forever and ever. And until he comes, the worldwide mission of the church is to extend complete, free, universal amnesty to people from every nation. Isn't that amazing? Like the gospel message, in the gospel message, it's not like, hey, listen, you should try Christianity. You might like it. It's Jesus is king, like the king of the universe, the God who made this world, the God who created you. He came, he, he gave up the throne, he came into a manger, and he came to rule and reign and establish the justice in this world that we long for, a place of perfect peace and perfect justice. And that is, that is coming. So the gospel message is not like, hey, try it, you might like it. The gospel message is get ready for it. Because Jesus is king. And so the question for us from this point about representing our king well is just like, is like, are your decisions representing your king well? When people find out that you're a Christian or do they know that you're a Christian, do they think to themselves, yeah, that makes sense? Or do they think, I, know all, I knew all Christians were hypocrites? Do we represent him with our actions or this Christmas, you know, we've, got, we've also got the message of the king to bring. And so one of the great things about Christmas is you get together with your family. Now, I don't know what your family's like. My family's a mess, right? And so when I show up at, when I show up at Christmas, it's an opportunity to tell my own family about Jesus. That's, the, that's hard, hard to do. You got, yeah, that, that's harder than talking to random people on the street, right? Because your family knows you. And they know all, every way that you've sinned, every way that you've messed up, every mistake you've ever made. But they need to know about this king too. And so I think, you know, for me as I think about this, what it's my step of obedience out of this message, it's probably like I need to pray and find a way to talk to my family about Jesus this Christmas. Maybe that's you, maybe not. So when Jesus is my king, here's our final point today. I long for my true country. It's on the back of your notes. I long for my true country. The book of Hebrews has this thing that we call the hall of faith. It doesn't call it that. We call it that. With this list of all these people who lived by faith, these, these heroes from the Bible. And in, in Hebrews 11, 13, and 16, it summarizes all of these heroes by saying this. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. They were longing for their true country. We see the same thing in the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Philippians 1.23. He says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to depart and be with Christ, 
which is better by far. And he kind of goes on to say, but I know that you need me here, so I want to stay here with you guys. But his heart was longing for his true home. Now, I, I, don't, know, I don't know about you, but... So I, I'm not from around here. I've, I've kind of moved around the, the country as I've, as I've grown. I'm originally from South Florida. And so Christmas for me was about... Um, Christmas lights on palm trees. You know, snow was a thing I'd read about in a book, and I never saw it until I was, until I was like six or seven years old. And that always felt like home to me. And the older I get, you know, I would really look forward to going back home, to my childhood home, that place where I grew up, that house that had a loft in it. I don't know why my parents had a loft, you know, and it was like, and it was like this, these old busted up couches and and my heart longs for that place, for that feeling of home. But the older I get, I would go back, and it changed. It just didn't feel the same anymore. And friends grew up, and some of them made great decisions. More of them, you know, shipwrecked their life somewhere along the way. People moved away. There was one year where a hurricane had come through and stripped out all the trees that I used to know and recognize. And I know that sounds like a small thing, but it's like I came home and just everything was, even the, even the landscape was different. And so the older I get, the more my heart longs for home, and it's just not there. And then this year, my parents moved to a whole new place, and so when I go home for the holidays and I'll spend time with those people who raised me and all their weird traditions and all their quirks and all of that, my heart longs for home, but I can't even find it in my parents' home. And some of you, your parents aren't with you anymore, and so your heart longs for that. I've come to realize this as a Christian who's been living for a few years now. The home your heart longs for is heaven. And the reason you can't find it in this world is because your heart is longing for something more than your childhood home. Your heart is longing for that place where you are fully known and fully loved. Where God welcomes you in and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Where you're welcomed into the family of God. Where you live in peace forever with Jesus as your king. I want to invite the worship team to come back up at this time. And I want to say this to you as we close. Like, I, you know, I don't know what Christmas looks like for you. Maybe everybody's coming over to your house. Maybe you have the home where everybody gathers together. Or maybe you're going to travel far away and head back and long to feel reconnected with your past. I want to, I want to encourage you with this thought as you go. Because Jesus is king, it means that there is a kingdom. And because there's a kingdom it means there is a home that your heart longs for. Today, Jesus is getting us ready for that home. And so we look forward to that with hope, we look forward to that with faith, and we live today in such a way that the kingdom of me is dying and the kingdom of God is coming. So let's pray.